backing vocal and a violin, but, but our demon car. Thank you guys, my savior's love. What a great song. Well, please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 10, Proverbs chapter 10. And you'll want to have the outline for the message that we provide each week. Those were available as you came in the doors to the auditorium. Those who are watching by live stream, you have an outline button next to or underneath your media player. Proverbs chapter 10, you'll also want a Bible to be able to follow along. We're going to uh, briefly introduce uh, chapter 10, but then we're going to go back into the earlier chapters and look at a few passages, and you'll want your Bible in front of you. So if you didn't have a Bible when you came in, we have some of those at, on a table at the entry doors if you want to uh, grab one of those. In starting chapter 10, we come to the second of two major parts of the book of Proverbs. The first major part is what we've completed over now 13 messages so far in this series. Namely, it's the introduction to the book from chapters 1 through 9. But with the first line of chapter 10, that's now new part begins. It says in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. Now this is a repeat of the first four words of the entire book back in chapter 1 in verse 1 which also says the Proverbs of Solomon. But the difference is, chapters 1 through 9 were foundational to what's going to follow the individual Proverbs that we're going to see in the weeks ahead. From now through the end of the book, we'll see those short, pithy sayings that are most closely aligned with what we think of when we think of the book of Proverbs, a collection of independent, miscellaneous aphorisms, that deal mostly with the consequences of right or wrong actions on various topics like, for example, anger. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly, foolishness. Or there are Proverbs that show the connection between the love of money and other behavior. The greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. Or there are several Proverbs about laziness. Proverbs 19, a sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He will not even bring it back to his mouth. Now we're starting the, with the second major part of the book that for the remainder then contains those kinds of statements. So the Proverbs of Solomon in chapter 10 is the title of a collection of these individual Proverbs that extends all the way to chapter 22. In fact, the second major part that begins with chapter 10 is one of six subdivisions within the, the book, six other subdivisions in the book. I've been showing you this slide as we've been going through the book of Proverbs. And you see there that we've completed chapters 1 through 9, the introduction, and now we're beginning the Proverbs of Solomon. They go through chapter 22. And then there is a couple of chapters called from a collection called the Sayings of the Wise, and then a portion of a chapter with more sayings of the wise, then more Proverbs of Solomon, the sayings of Agur, and the sayings of King Lemuel. Now, even though collections of proverbial sayings from others were eventually then brought together into the final form of the book of Proverbs, as you see on the screen, you've got the wise, and you've got Agur, and you've got Lemuel. The vast majority of the Proverbs are from Solomon. He wrote the first nine chapters that we've already completed, 
And as you see, he provided 12 and a half more from chapters 10 through 22, and then five more from chapters 25 through 29. All totaled, Solomon wrote about 84% of the book of Proverbs. So going forward, we're going to be looking at these now short, pungent sayings. And we're going to do that topically for the next several weeks, looking at what they say about things like anger and communication and greed and laziness and other subjects. But there's a potential problem. If we're not careful, we will not see any connection between those things in the weeks to come and the foundation that was laid in the introduction, those first nine chapters. The material is so different that it would be easy to think that what's in chapters 10 through 31 is just this haphazard collection of, yes, helpful stuff, but with no real rhyme or reason to it. But we know that's not the case for a couple of reasons. One, Solomon would not have wasted his time providing chapters 1 through 9 as an introduction if they have no connection to the rest of the book. Secondly, in this first of his collections from chapter 10 through 22, there are 375 Proverbs. Now that's intentional, that number, 375. Because the numeric value of the Hebrew consonants in the name Solomon adds up to 375. It was not unusual for numeric values to be assigned to the letters of a particular language's alphabet, and that was true for the Hebrew language in which Proverbs was written. And if you take the Hebrew consonants in, in Solomon and you add up their values, it comes to 375. So for chapters 10 through 22, 375 of Solomon's Proverbs were selected on purpose, intentionally, to be included, and that's from a much, much larger number of Proverbs that Solomon had actually written, because 1 Kings 4 tells us this, Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs. This was all done then with care and intentionality. So we need to see how these various topics that we're going to look at in the weeks ahead relate to the material we've already covered. There's a linkage between them that may not be apparent at first glance, and seeing that's going to help us understand what underlies our tendencies toward what those Proverbs speak of. Anger, gossip, laziness, greed, and so on. So let's ask the Lord to help us now as we do that. Father, we're thankful that we are here or that we are in your presence via live stream, but with our Bibles open to hear from your word. We thank you for this privilege every week. Lord, we ask you now to speak to us from your word, and may your word accomplish its purpose because we come to it with open hearts and attentive minds, ready to obey. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, the introduction uh, to Proverbs in chapters 1 through 9 taught us what I say in your outline. It taught us that life is dictated by desire. What you do is determined by what you want. This means that whether you do the stuff that we're going to see in the weeks ahead as we look at those topics in Proverbs depends on your desires. And the introduction sought to make that clear. 
Now, if you've been with us for the prior weeks of this series, you'll remember that chapters 1 through 9 includes 10 lectures from a father to a son to prepare that son for life by showing him the importance of decisively choosing wisdom. In one of those lectures, he made clear what it is that determines what we want and in turn what we choose. So please turn back to chapter 4. Chapter 4. And by the way... What I just did in chapter 10 is all we're doing in chapter 10 today. Because I want to lay this groundwork then for moving forward from chapter 10 on. Chapter 4. Chapter 4 contains three of those 10 lectures, one of which starts in verse 20. The eight verses from verse 20 through the end of the chapter are a complete lesson. Now, I'm going to read it, and as I do, I'm going to emphasize every time it mentions a body part, and then after that, I'll explain why. Verse 20, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear, first body part, to my words. Do not let them out of your sight, so the use of your eyes. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole, and then it mentions the body. Verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity, corrupt talk far from your lips, so your mouth and your lips. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, give careful thought to the paths of your now Feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. In this lesson, the Father uses the physical body as an illustration of one's life and provides instruction for it to be spiritually healthy. Notice that he speaks in verses 20 to 22 of the ear and sight and heart and body. The ears, the eyes, the heart are the body parts that are receptive. They receive what they hear and see and take inside the body. And then verses 24 to 27 are the body parts that after input's been received, they act upon what's taken in. The mouth and the lips speak and the eyes not just see, but they intentionally look or gaze, and the feet go in the direction of what's been decided. And what is central to all of that? What is it that determines what we internalize and in turn act upon? Verse 23 connects the receiving and the acting. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. One body part, the heart, is uniquely mentioned twice. Because the interior heart is the receptacle of the teaching, and it's also the agent governing what's done with it. That's not true just in this lesson, but throughout the Bible. The heart is the control center of the person in Scripture. And that's why the Bible tells us to, in Psalm 37, delight in the Lord, and He will give you, notice, the desires of your heart. A heart that delights in the Lord will have one kind of desires. But as Pastor Larry read earlier, there are other desires. He read, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, that is, your sin nature. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so you are not to do whatever you want, that is, whatever you desire. In our day, desires just are. And the need to follow your heart is a given. But in Scripture, the heart may desire the right things, but not unless it's changed. And that's because the Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Since desires of the heart are what determine what we do, then it's only after mentioning desires that what Pastor Larry read goes on to talk about actions that flow from those. The acts of the flesh now. We've had all these desires mentioned. Now, the actions, the acts of the sin nature, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And almost all of these are warned about in Proverbs. But the most basic warning is not about what we do, but what we want, what we desire, because the desires of the heart dictate how we live. And likewise, only after mentioning the desires of the Spirit does the passage mention what flows from a heart that's controlled by Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Notice the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the Spirit, what comes of having the Spirit's desires in control of our hearts. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how do our desires change from desires that are desires of the flesh or of the sin nature to desires that produce the fruit of the Spirit. That passage goes on to say this, those who belong to Christ. That's how. You have to belong to Christ. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its, notice, passions and desires. So that we live by the Spirit's desires. That is, every person needs a new heart. And as you go through the book of Proverbs, you need to have that as the background. Because otherwise, you will just see these as commands, avoid being lazy, you know, avoid getting yourself into financial trouble, all of that. Well, guess what? Anybody can give you that kind of good advice. But this is Advice that flows out of now, in fact, not just advice, commands now, that flow out of this teaching on the heart that we are to bring to it. You are, each individual, going to produce one of two kinds of lives. And those two kinds of lives are going to be characterized by certain things the book of Proverbs is going to show us, but all of those flow from what kind of heart you bring to it. Life is dictated by desire. And there are at least three ways to obtain my desires. That is what I want. 
And I have those listed in your outline in A, B, and C. You see those? A, B, and C, money, power, and pleasure. Now, I've chosen these three because they are prominent in the introduction in chapters 1 through 9. And they explain the actions that Proverbs warns against. The way we use our bodies, as seen in the warnings we'll look at in the weeks ahead, the way we use our bodies sexually and verbally and intellectually and attitudinally, those are all animated by our desires. And those desires, what we want, are put into effect by money, power, and pleasure. So I say in your outline, money purchases what I want. Money purchases what I want. The introduction in chapters 1 through 9 warned about misuse of money. And there are many proverbs about finances as a result. So please turn back to chapter 1. Chapter 1, in this very first lecture, we have a warning against ill-gotten material gain in verse 13. If you come with us, says the gang, verse 13, we will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. Now we'll come back to chapter 1, so hold your Bible open there. But for now, notice that the desire for money, which is the desire to have the means to obtain what I want, can involve stealing to get it. Solomon's already warned against the insidious love of money by commanding generosity, which is the antidote to material greed. Chapter 3 and verse 27 says, I'll read it for you, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is good when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. That line, do not withhold from those to whom it is due, I noted when we covered that passage that it's literally, do not withhold from its owners. Meaning, that from God's perspective, if someone in your sphere of influence is in need and you have the means, then they own what you have. (laughs) But he says this because the yearning to obtain the currency of my desires is going to be so strong. And so he's giving this antidote, be generous. Because of what I want, if I need money to obtain it, I may be willing to steal or I may be willing to do more. In verse 10, at the start of this very first lecture, we're warned that we may be willing to do violence to get what we want. Verse 10, my son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood, let's ambush some harmless soul, let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole, like those who go down to the pit. The stealing is due to what I want, and the violence is rooted in the same. You see, friends, what we want reveals and results in many other problems that we're going to see in the Proverbs that follow in the weeks ahead. Violence and relational problems and pride, and it could go on. And so that's why the Bible says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of the currency to get what I want 
the love of that has all kinds of other things associated with it. And it's not ultimately the love of money, but it's the love of what money can acquire. What money can acquire materially, the stuff I want. Or what money can acquire psychologically, the security that I want. Or what money can acquire socially, the status that I want. Life is dictated by desire, and money purchases what I want. And power forces what I want. I say in the outline, power forces what I want. When we looked at that first lecture a few months back and the violence and the theft involved in getting what I want, I said that at its core, ill-gotten gain succeeds by stepping on someone else. That pervasive win-despite-the-cost attitude means that along the way, we meet people like this and or we are people like this. Self-centered, narcissistic, backstabbers, who may not use a knife or a gun, but who implement the same plan, namely, subdue others to my benefit. I mentioned a long and diverse list of how that kind of thing can go. Bullies at school. Using power to force what they want. Computer hackers stealing others' identity and money. Wall Street insiders exploiting the system for their own gain. Political good old boys neglecting their constituents but looking out for themselves. Terrorists plotting and murdering to create their own ideal world. Class-motivated revolutionaries taking their revenge on the privileged wealthy to punish historic wrong, wrongs. Racists treating others as non-persons who just don't count and can be disposed of or held down forever. Politicians saying whatever they need in order to give their people what they want to hear, even if they know it's ultimately harmful. Mao's China, Stalin's Russia, Hitler's Germany, Pol Pot's Cambodia, and others, the murderous modern state. Neighbors who need bad things to be true of someone else in order to justify themselves, gossiping that person's reputation to death. Intellectuals who approve the use of murder by those with whom they sympathize. Office politics bringing the CEO down, or the faculty at a school bringing the dean down, or teachers at a school bringing the principal down. A faction splitting a church. There are many legal, polite, agreeable, even religious ways of saying but chapter 1 says, come, let us lie in wait, let's ambush. And what's behind these exercises of power, whether physical power or verbal power, or even fantasized power in your own mind, are things like pride, envy, greed, jealousy, retaliation, and so on. So when we read in Proverbs in the weeks ahead, warnings against these there's something, friends, larger behind them, which explains them. And they all have in common a desire for self-aggrandizing power over others or my situation or both. Life is dictated by desire. Money purchases what I want. Power forces what I want. And pleasure is what I want. 
At the root of pleasure is please. My pleasure is what pleases me. Turn to chapter 5 now, if you would. In this introduction, where we see the warning against craving, against craving immoral sexual pleasure. Chapter 5, verse 3. The lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall. But I made the point in chapter 5 and then again in chapter 7 because the same kind of thing is warned against there. I made the point, you may not remember it, uh, and I don't blame you if you don't, but I made the point that sexual pleasure is simply an example of the same motivation we have for other pleasures. So it's just a stark example of pursuing pleasure. So the Bible's not just warning about about sex and in the immoral use of sex, but rather sex is one stark example of the desire for pleasure and illicit pleasure of whatever type. Take, for example, rest. You see, even a lazy person is motivated, <laughs> just not by work. The lazy person is motivated by pleasure. The pleasure of rest. The pleasure of ease. And so look at the next chapter, chapter 6. And verse 10. Chapter 6 and verse 10. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then it goes on to say, and poverty will come. These exact same words are repeated later in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 24 and verse 33. Friends, life is dictated by desire. And, I say in your outline, life can be destroyed by desire. It's dictated by desire and it can be destroyed by desire. Now, the way I've stated it in the outline, money and power are means to an end. Money purchases what I want, Power forces what I want. They're the way I get what I want. But here's the really perverse thing. They can become not only a means, but an end. That is, I use money to get what I want, but sometimes more money becomes all I want. I can use power to force what I want, but sometimes I just get satisfaction from having the power itself. So I pursue more money and more power or seek to preserve the money and power I have because that's become the end game. Pleasures likewise, whether sexual or other selfish pleasure, becomes what I live for and look forward to. And here's the problem when these all become ends. Money, power, pleasure. The problem is you have to keep going after them because they cannot satisfy. You have to keep doing it. You have to keep pursuing it. The appetite for them is insatiable. And that's why, in the words of those great theologians, the eagles, in Desperado, 
you're losing all your highs and lows. Ain't it funny how the feeling goes away? It can't satisfy. Or in the words of Marie Antoinette, a woman who had it all, surrounded by luxury, power, pleasure, with sumptuous fare to eat, she said these soul-sick words, nothing tastes. Proverbs has already begun to warn of misdirected desires, and it'll do so in its teaching on anger and work and money and pleasure and the use of the tongue and so on. It will say misuse of these must be avoided, but we're to see those warnings in light of what underlies them, namely what we want. The Bible speaks of our desires elsewhere in these words. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now notice that greed, which is one form of desire, is likened to idolatry. And that's because at its root, idolatry is desire. It's desire and desiring someone or something more than God. We see this in the short book of 1 John, whose very last verse says this, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, ending it that way at first glance is a bit curious because in the 105 verses of 1 John, the words idol and idolatry are not mentioned in all, at all, and yet it ends this way. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Yet a closer examination of the book of 1 John reveals that that letter is entirely about idolatry. The late editor of the Journal of Biblical Counseling, David Paulison, said this, John's last line leaves us with that most basic question which God continually poses to each human heart. Has something or someone besides Jesus the Christ taken title to your heart's trust, preoccupation, loyalty, service, fear, and delight? It is a question bearing on the immediate motivation for one's behavior, thoughts, and feelings. In the Bible's conceptualization, the motivation question is the lordship question. Who or what rules my behavior, the Lord or a substitute? The undesirable answers to this question, answers which inform our understanding of the idolatry we are to avoid, are most graphically presented in places like 1 John chapter 2, which says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust, that is the intense desire of the flesh, the lust, the intense desire of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Life is dictated by desire. It can be destroyed by it, but the good news is this. Life can be rewarded by desire. Notice that in that Colossians 3.5 passage that I put on the screen, we'll put it on the screen again, desires has the modifier evil. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It has that modifier evil. That's because the problem is evil desires, or what some theologians call inordinate desires. 
wanting something too much or as an end in itself. It's desire misused for its own selfish ends that's the issue, not all desire. Because ordinate desires are good. John Piper says this, God did not conceive and create money, sex, and power simply to be a temptation. He had good purposes in mind. Money, sex, and power exist for the great aims of God in human history. They are not detours on the path to God-exalting joy. Along with all of the rest of God's good world, they are the path. With them, we can show the supreme worth of God. Author Tim Chester says this, it's not desire itself that's wrong. God is not a killjoy who wants to stamp on our desires. Desire is part of what it means to be human. The problem is, after humanity's fall into sin, our desires have become disordered. They are misaligned with reality. So desire itself is no longer a good indicator of who we are or how we should live. We still have good desires, but we also have evil desires, which do not lead to human flourishing. So friends, it is not a Buddhist-like eliminate desire, but rather it's a redirecting of our desire. Money is fine if used for the God who gave it. Power is fine if used for God's purposes. Pleasure is fine and good if sought and enjoyed as God directs. So Proverbs, like the rest of the Bible, will tell us not only about what is harmful and who is harmed, but also what is a blessing and who is blessed. Using what God has given as God has directed changes everything. We need to recognize, as we start to get into these Proverbs now in the weeks ahead, we need to recognize that our hearts are the key issue always. And that we are like Augustine, who recognized the prone-to-wander nature of his own heart. And he said famously what I have in your take-home truth. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. So how do I get that new heart that we spoke of earlier? It comes through a relationship with this God from whom all of us come into this world estranged. And because of that estrangement from God, that separation from God, God came into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves in Jesus Christ. So you realize that you are a sinner and your sin shows up in all of its manifestations, different than mine, but nevertheless the same root as mine, our hearts that are separated from God. You realize that you're a sinner, but you recognize that Christ satisfied God's justice on the cross by paying the penalty for your sin, all of it, past, present, and future. Repent. Lord, I see this. I see this about myself. I see this about my own heart. I see it in the way I talk. I see it coming out in the way I act. I see it coming out in the way I think. It's all rooted in my heart that's separate from you. I repent. I'm no longer going to go my way. I'm going to go your way. And he will begin to change you from the inside out. You receive Jesus Christ into your life. We're going to bow and pray now in just a moment. And as we do, if you've never come to Jesus Christ, I urge you to do that. Acknowledging, Lord, I'm a sinner. 
I have sinned against you. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. I give my life to you. I'm going to follow you according to your word as you aid me. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, again, we thank you for this privilege of being here with your word open and to be taught what your word says about the root of our problem, all of them. Our personal problems are because we are all personally separated from you. Hearts that wander. We say with the hymn writer, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. And so here is our heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lord, help me to do that every day. Help us as your people to do that every day. Acknowledge your lordship, acknowledge you as the king of our hearts, to put aside everything else that would seek to pull us away from you. And Lord, for any here who have never come to you through Jesus Christ, I pray that your spirit is moving upon them now and you are graciously drawing them out of the world and to yourself. Help us this week now as we go and seek to have you be the Lord of our hearts and therefore of our thoughts and our words and our actions this week. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together now for our closing song.